Welcome to Fringe with Benefits podcast, episode 82. Stacy here, authentic and honest and full of excitement sprinkled with rage. I'm your host on all things odd. I have to say one thing right now. I heard a joke recently. After all, if we can't at the very least laugh, we might go mad with everything going on right now. Okay, the joke is either your blood is clotting or your blood is boiling right now. And my blood is boiling. Things are bad, people, really, really bad. No one is coming to save us, and we are totally responsible for what happens from this point forward. If you are not intentionally trying to ignore injustice, you are still responsible. There are no more excuses, and there is no more time to waste. Start where you are now, seek out truth, acknowledge the mind control op that you too are a victim of, and stand the fuck up and be about it. Do something, even if it's just considering everything you've ever been told was a lie. Open your mind and expand your perspective. I am here to tell you this, and I come to you to scramble your brain on all things anomalous, peculiar, weird, and abnormal. All right, Stacy Socials, my favorite time of the show. First, we had another mass chicken culling. So I'm sure everybody's heard in the news that the bird flu epidemic, it's been a thing. People have been having issues with it, right? Well, considering that, Let's just carry on with this story. So according to this article, all you need is one single positive test for an avian flu infection will result in the farmers being ordered to carry out a mass culling of their entire flock. And these tests, these infections are being determined via PCR tests, possibly, right? And we know how much faith we have in PCR tests. I have not seen any verification that PCR tests are being used, but it's highly suspect. And if it is the case, then this is a problem because we know that when the cycles are cranked up, we get false positives. So then when they ask them or they order them to destroy all their birds, these are counted as victims of the avian flu outbreak. Does any of this sound familiar? According to Wall Street Journal article, More than 40 million egg-laying chickens have died in the current outbreak. And that's according to USDA data. But it doesn't necessarily say that they died from the avian flu. They died from being culled. Stated another way, the reason why so many birds are dead during an outbreak is because these farmers are being ordered by health authorities to kill them. Let's also consider that commercial chickens are frequently vaccinated against pathogens. But some of these vaccines make the pathogens even worse. According to PBS.org, in fact, rather than stop fowl from spreading the virus, the vaccine allows the disease to spread faster and longer than it normally would. The scientists now believe that this vaccine has helped this chicken virus become uniquely virulent. They are referring to this vaccine for Merrick's disease. And the study being cited is published in PLOS Biology, and it's entitled Imperfect Vaccination Can Enhance the Transmission of Highly Virulent Pathogens. Study states an obvious truth that rarely gets acknowledged is that vaccines can cause pathogens to spread more aggressively and kill more. They do not prevent the transmission or replication. This is from the study abstract. Could some vaccines drive the evolution of more virulent pathogens? Conventional wisdom is that natural selection will remove highly lethal pathogens if host death greatly reduces reduces transmission. 
Vaccines that keep hosts alive but still allow transmission could thus allow very virulent strains to circulate in a population. Here we show experimentally that immunization of chickens against Merrick's disease virus enhances the fitness of more virulent strains, making it possible for hyperpathogenic strains to transmit. Immunity elicited by direct vaccination or by maternal vaccination prolongs host survival but does not prevent infection, viral replication, or transmission, thus extending the infectious periods of strains otherwise too lethal to persist. So I've got a chicken. I've got one chicken. I don't have any more than that, but she's an egg layer when she's in a good mood. And the, the writer of this article talks about how he's got a lot of ba- backyard egg layers, and he's had them for well over a decade. He emphasizes that chickens die from natural causes in old age and that his have ended up dying from old age. He said his chickens have never suffered an avian influenza event and they're in a free range environment, no fences, no boundaries. They encounter other birds, waterfowl, have never suffered any sort of outbreak causing any death. He goes on to say that if the narrative were true, that wild birds are infecting chickens with dangerous pathogens, and that's why we need to kill millions of chickens, then why isn't his chickens dead from influenza? He says the answer's obvious. He doesn't vaccinate them, and he doesn't keep them confined to artificial indoor buildings. They experience the natural world, eat natural chicken food sources like bugs and small lizards, and they drink water from a pond that's teeming with bacteria, and they're fine and healthy. And then he makes a great point by talking about how we all need to keep small family farms and wholesale decentralization of the food production infrastructure across America, because we don't need Tyson Foods to feed America. We need you know, Joe Bob down the street, and we need to be growing our own foods and trading in a community-based co-op. So, I mean, I really just want people to think that maybe this bird flu thing, maybe it's fabricated to enhance food shortages all across the country. I don't know. It's just really something to think about because it's weird. It's weird that they would want us to vaccinate our birds knowing that it makes more powerful strains a positive test for the strain. You got to kill your whole flock. It's just strange. Next is from a Washington Post article about U.S. life expectancy declining. It has been declining alarmingly in 2021 and mainly because of COVID-19, they say, and illegal drugs. Governmental data was released recently and some peer nations began to bounce back from the toll of the pandemic life expectancy in the U.S. dropped to 76.4 years, down from 77 in 2020. And this is according to data from the National Center for Health Statistics. And notably, every age group in the U.S., from young kids to seniors 85 and older, saw a rise in death rate. And this is men, women, and most racial groups. Next is an Epic Times article about the spike protein. This is what we know that the spike protein found in the SARS-CoV-2 virus can be produced in the body via infection and mRNA vaccination. Both of these mechanisms impact multiple organ systems. One organ of interest is the nervous system. This is the system that is responsible for controlling our bodily functions and our sensory functions and our brain. Researchers have studied in depth using animal models and cell culture methods the effects of this spike protein on our nervous system. 
Now, long COVID, we hear a lot about this. It's often associated with experiencing oxygen deprivation and severe infection, but it can also be caused by the spike protein. It's because it binds to specific receptors. I, I feel like we're, we've already gone over this, but we're gonna go through it again. It binds to specific receptors on the host cell, allows for the genetic material of the virus to enter the host cell to make more virus particles. In contrast, mRNA vaccination introduces mRNA into cells that cause them to produce large quantities of the spike protein. Although the, the vaccines are admitted intramuscularly, mRNA from the vaccine has been found in the brain as reported by the European Medicines Agency from 2021. This is for the Moderna. In mouse models, spike protein introduction to the brain causes mice to behave anxiously, have poor memory, reduced environmental curiosity, and these findings are similar to the cognitive problems experienced by recovered patients. This is including, so we've heard the COVID brain thing. This includes deficits in attention, language, executive functioning, processing speed, and memory. Cell culture studies have demonstrated that the spike protein negatively affects brain cells. That brain cells stimulated with the spike protein produce inflammatory molecules. And these molecules can cause cell death and resulting into damaged brain tissue. Now, animal studies have confirmed the presence of damaged brain tissue and dead brain cells. Further, exposure to the spike protein might lead to an increase in the expression of genes responsible for processes such as energy metabolism, connective tissue support and structure, and brain development. When upregulated, these genes can have negative impacts such as inflammation, tumor development, etc. Proteins responsible for cell structure and function are impacted by this as well. One protein, RHOA, is found to be more present in cells that have come in contact with this. And this is what allows the virus to enter the brain, which causes physiological damage. Another protein of interest is the ACE2, which is a primary target for spike proteins. ACE2 is responsible for decreasing blood pressure, and overexpression of this protein can cause increased pressure in the brain. Cell culture studies have found that ACE2 expression increases when brain cells are exposed to the spike protein. It has also been found to aggregate within the brain tissue, which causes neurodegenerative disease. The Delta variant had a higher rate of protein misfoldings than the original Wuhan and Omicron strains. And because of this, scientists caution that the spike protein delivery to the brain may present risk of neurodegenerative disease development. All bad. Not good. Let's move on to an Australian whistleblower. This one's interesting. Dr. Karian Phelps, former head of the AMA, who is now going public with truth about injuries. So this is according to the Children's Defense Org, or Children's Health Defense Org. Sorry about that. Dr. Karen Phelps testifies that her wife, Jackie Strickler Phelps, suffered a severe neurological reaction to her first Pfizer vaccine within minutes and continues to suffer ongoing neurological symptoms, musculoskeletal inflammation and fatigue. Phelps was also diagnosed with vaccine injuries, including intermittent fevers, cardiovascular issues following her second Pfizer dose in July of 2021. Phelps told regulators she's spoken with other doctors who have themselves experienced a serious and persistent adverse event, including cardiological, rheumatological, autoimmune reactions, and neurological consequences. But vaccine injury is a subject that few in the medical profession have wanted to talk about. 
Regulators of the medical profession have censored public discussion about adverse events following immunization with threats to doctors not to make any public statements about anything that might undermine the government's vaccine rollout or risk suspension or loss of their registration, which has happened to many, 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 many doctors in our country. So Dr. Phelps helped construct the medical police state in Australia, and she was pushing the vaccines, masks, and lockdowns. But now she has, she has now joined a growing number of high-profile physicians worldwide, including British cardiologist Dr. Asim Maholtra and oncologist Dr. Angus Dagliesh, who have turned against the vaccines after publicly supporting them. Campbell Newman, former Queensland Premier, called Phelps' submission to the inquiry a watershed moment because Phelps had previously been a strong and public vaccine advocate. Well, not anymore. Her loved one has been harmed. Beginning in 2020, Australia instituted some of the most draconian lockdowns, vaccination, and mask regulations in the world, and she helped support these measures, but now she's calling for better policies. Next, I want to share with you a talk that James O'Keefe from Project Veritas gave, as well as an FBI whistleblower, Kyle Serafin. First, let's start with what James O'Keefe said. He said, okay, so this is a part of the draconian measures that have been going on in our country as far as censorship. So from vaccines now to censorship, it's all kind of related. It's the same beast that's doing it to us. So this is James O'Keefe. A year ago, I was raided by the FBI. The Reporters Committee for Freedom of the Press came out and said it was unconstitutional and tried to have the affidavits unsealed so we could see the probable cause. Even the American Civil Liberties Union came out and said this was wrong. In a violation of the First Amendment, we had groups like the Society of Professional Journalists, First Amendment groups committed to protecting journalists, all coming out saying this is abuse against the First Amendment. Even the Attorney General, Merrick Garland, said that you can't forcibly remove reporters' notebooks, certainly not at gunpoint, which is what the FBI did to our reporters at Project Veritas. They issued memos saying you can't do it in 2021, and again, most recently in the October of 2022. This caught the attention of incoming Jim Jordan, who's going to be the chairman of the Judiciary Committee this coming year. Biden's Justice Department targeted Project Veritas, a news organization specializing in undercover journalism. Subjected to an extensive investigation by the FBI, including having its email seized on Microsoft servers. Am I afraid? Sometimes it can be terrifying, at least for a little while. But then I remember these people, these brave heroes. I have the privilege to stand here amongst giants, and each of these individuals followed in the footsteps of one that came before them. Now, you might say that's not enough, but it's something. It's a start. Story by story, brick by brick, one by one. I'm just one man, one person, and they have infinite power. But I'm not alone. I'm amongst friends, and I can do something. And if I can do something, I should do it. And if I should do it, by the grace of God, I will do it. We have a First Amendment in this country. Every one of you has the power to be journalists. You have the right to expose them. Follow their example. Blow the whistle. Follow your conscience. Blow the whistle on your supervisors. Follow the example of this brave person inside the FBI who showed malfeasance at the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Very troubling things that are happening within the FBI. Veritas appears to be a victim of political undertakings. We don't see a lot of investigations into news organizations. It's truly an incredible amount of power. I don't have a problem with people who believe that they're doing the right thing. I have a problem with people who are doing the wrong thing and they know it. Take your phones out. Turn the flashlight on your phone right now. We're going to make some magical, something magical happen. And this is where he had everybody in the, um, the audience respond. And he goes on to say, we are going to send... A, 
a message to the powerful people in the world that we're not alone and that we can expose them. They will not intimidate us. They will not make us afraid. I want to introduce you to the bravest person I've ever met, someone who came to us within the FBI to expose malfeasance and wrongdoing. And this is when he introduced Kyle Serafin. This is what he had to say. I first swore to protect and defend our founding document in 2008. I was 26 years old. I've done that at least three more times, and that oath is something integral to my being. The oath has compelled me to expose wrong, which spelled the end to a job that many people dream of, that of an FBI special agent. I disclosed abuse of counterterrorism resources to investigate parents who spoke out at school board meetings. I exposed the FBI using our most patriotic symbols to identify militia violent extremists, which Project Veritas published in August. I exposed the FBI's election crimes cheat sheet prior to this year's midterm elections, and even sexual misconduct at the highest ranks of the FBI management. And because of this, my family has struggled. I was suspended without pay in June, and some people will see that as a waste. You'll see a career that was lost, thrown away. And some of you may ask, what's the point? Because nothing ever changes, but you can't believe that. You mustn't. This event is being put on by Turning Point USA, and we haven't crossed that tipping point where we can no longer reclaim our country. The turning point. That's the change where we turn towards the future we want to live in, that all of you want to live in, and that my wife and I want to see our children grow up in. But that only happens when we protect our most precious God-given rights to assemble, like we are right here, and to speak as you hear me, without any fear of government censorship, and to a press corps that's dedicated to exposing wrong without the fear of government agents kicking in their doors. A friend of mine always says, you've got two choices, you can prepare or you can repair. And if you want our country to turn back towards God and family and our constitution, then prepare yourselves to stand up when your moment comes. It will prepare you so that the American Constitution and your personal decision to defend it is a part of your being, too. Action will always beat reaction every time. And none of you know when it's going to be your time to stand up. So you have to prepare like it's a speech or like it's a sport or a fight. Remember, your, prepare yourself so when your moment comes, you're not found flat-footed and wishing you'd done something else. You had another chance. Prepare right now. Prepare yourselves so that when you're called into action, you can be brave and you could do the right something. Thank you so much. Okay. So both of these men said some very, very important things to that audience. And I've been saying this to you all, all along. And I know of several people that I've been listening to for the past couple of years have been telling you all the same thing. He's right. Prepare yourself because your time's going to come soon. Uh, okay. The next article is pretty freaking ridiculous. It's from ifuckinglovescience.com, which was, which was um, a platform that I really liked reading articles on. But obviously, just like Vice, they have gone super woke and they're pushing this narrative that's just completely wrong and um, propaganda is what it is. And as far as I'm concerned, they're committing crimes. So... This IFL science article is people unvaccinated against COVID are 48% more likely to get into traffic accidents. This is what it says. The study was published in the American Journal of Medicine, looked at data from about 11 million individuals, 16% who were not vaccinated against COVID. The team then looked at data from emergency care settings in Ontario, Canada, where traffic accidents resulted in hospitalization. 
It may seem odd to look for a correlation between a vaccination status and involvement in a traffic accident, but the team note that previous studies have linked people's psychology, such as aggressive personalities, with traffic accidents. So when I first heard this come out, I just so happened to open up my YouTube and one of the really great people that I follow, Dr. John Campbell, heavily vets this study and finds several flaws in their data collection and analysis. You want to know how to lie with statistics? This is how to do it. It's, and it's blatant propaganda, such as some examples of where they biffed it is they're only looking at hospitalizations. What about all the other accidents that didn't result in hospitalizations? It also includes pedestrians. So I wouldn't even consider that a traffic accident. If you got hit by a car, that would be an accident involving a pedestrian. And it doesn't consider that many unvaccinated people in Canada where the study was conducted were banned from using public transport and were the ones primarily on the road. So that will skew your data too. And we might may find in fact that the other way around with all the strokes and sudden deaths contributing to traffic accidents is probably more likely. So if you saw that article, pretty much all you can do is laugh at it and just see it for what it is. Next is a news story that happened a couple weeks ago, but I want to talk about it here because it just shows how far we've fallen um, with good leadership and good representation for our country. It's, it's embarrassing. Joe Biden invited a drag queen, Marty G. Cummings, to attend the signing of the Respect for Marriage Act at the White House. Both the House of Representatives and the Senate have greenlit this legislation, which enshrines same-sex marriage protections into federal law accord in accordance with the Supreme Court's opinion of Obergefell versus Hodges. This is what Biden said. On this day, Jill and I are thinking of the courageous couples and fiercely committed advocates who have fought for decades to secure nationwide marriage equality at the Supreme Court and in Congress. While we are all one step closer in our long journey to build a more perfect union, we must never stop fighting for full equality for LGBTQI plus Americans and all Americans. End quote. But let's not forget that Mr. Joseph Robinette was against gay marriage not too long ago and probably still is. And gay marriage was already not disputed in this country. It's been legal. And this is a total media ploy to gain support. And he doesn't feel that way. But we do. Most of us do. Most of us are, like, totally cool with the whole, you know, love-who-you-want-to-love thing. But why does a drag queen have to be the figurehead for this? For one, he's non-binary. And he may not even be gay, for all we know. Plus, the name, Marty G. Cummings... I don't know, it just seems a little vulgar. And while we're on the subject, drag queen shows for all ages has been touring around the country displaying raunchy adult entertainment for families. I would never want my kids to see some of this stuff. And it's, let's clarify, it's adult entertainment. That means it's for adults only. And Biden recently made waves by inviting Dylan Mulvaney, who's a biological man who identifies as a transgender woman, to the White House to discuss transgender issues. Dylan is appropriating a stereotypical narrow-minded view of what womanhood is. And if anything, it's ignorant and offensive. Next, I need to touch on the Twitter files. 
So journalist Matt Tabibi said that between, okay, so this is one of the Twitter file drops. January, between January 2020 and November 2022, the then senior director of trust and safety over at Twitter, Yoel Roth, had exchanged more than 150 emails with the FBI. So here's the FBI again. Taibi, I think that's how you pronounce his name, said, a surprisingly high number of requests by the FBI for Twitter to take action on election misinformation, even involving joke tweets from low follower accounts. The FBI's social media focused task force known as FTIF, created in the wake of the 2016 election, swelled to 80 agents and corresponded with Twitter to identify alleged foreign influence, to identify alleged foreign influence and election tampering of all kinds. So you're telling me we have 80 agents on the payroll to troll us on Twitter and then email senior director of trust and safety to flag us and to either shadow ban us or ban our accounts altogether. He goes on to say that federal intelligence and law enforcement reach into Twitter included the Department of... Oh, the federal intelligence and law enforcement who reach into Twitter included the Department of Homeland Security, which partnered with security contractors and think tanks to pressure Twitter into moderating content. Now, keep an eye on this, guys, because more and more drops on Twitter have been the topic of discussion. And they they have been censoring people with the help and coercion of our own government. And this is not only election interference, but it's been harmful to millions for spreading lies about the COVID thing. Elon Musk has taken a stand and is aboard as we all have been. How many people are dead or dying because of this? And this is just scratching the surface and more will be revealed. Next is another substack by Dr. Merrill Nass. This is another thing about deaths, okay? From the National Association of Statutory Health Insurance Physicians, which insures 72 million lives, that um, they are noticing that after the rollout of the injections, there was a sharp, unprecedented spike in unexpected deaths. A thousand percent increase. Of course, it's denied that there's a causal relationship with the vaccine, and the cause for the deaths is unknown, but it's not COVID-19. Authorities have not yet done appropriate studies to investigate a possible vaccine connection. Mainstream media did not attend the press event where data analysis Tom Lawson presented the figures, which he calls a risk signal. And from the CDC data, Equity Investment Advisor Edward Dowd calculates that millennials aged 25 to 40 experienced an 84% excess mortality in the fall of 2021. And this, of course, coincides with the mandates and the boosters. They're calling it a Vietnam War size event. To continue with Dr. Merrill Nass, she's developing a pledge to restore our nation and its values. And I wanted to share this because maybe we should all take this pledge or get involved and adjust the pledge in a way that we see fit. And this is very reminiscent of Nuremberg, the Nuremberg Code that was enacted after the Nuremberg trials, after all the atrocities and the war crimes and the genocide and the crimes against humanity were committed in in Germany and other parts of Europe. So here's the pledge. Number one, revoke unending states of emergency. I support limits on emergency powers, all government emergency laws, rules, regulations, orders, and directives that haven't undergone legislative review and approval must have strict time limits not to exceed two weeks. We shouldn't have any, in my opinion. Two, prohibit forced medical care. 
support the prohibition of all pandemic medical mandates enacted by federal, state, county, city, and private actors, including compulsory drugs, vaccines, vaccine passports, testing, and masking. Absolutely. Three, end censorship and propaganda. I support the termination of all federal and state funding used to censor citizens, misinform the American public, or restrict communication between people. Four, require government compliance with laws regarding financial management and spending transparency. I support fiscal accountability of the U.S. government as constitutionally required. And five, ban gain-of-function research. I support the elimination of all gain-of-function research and related activities. Gain-of-function is defined as the intentional manipulation of microorganisms to make them more virulent, dangerous, or contagious. And there's a bunch of footnotes that talks about short-sighted emergency laws, legislative and administrative government functions, mandated medical tests, everything that, that all of those topics are related to. And that concludes Stacy's Socials. Uh, if you're if you're not as outraged as I am, then you have some serious self-reflection ahead of you. Let's talk a little bit of business. Share the show. Do reviews. Write a review. Five stars. I love those. Send me some emails. Tell me what you think. Give me some feedback. And follow me on all the socials. There's a Telegram link below. There's a Patreon. Go to InwardSurvival.com. My Twitter that needs some followers is the show's Twitter. It's at Stacy Fringe. There is a link for um, forbidden clothes. If you want some t-shirts to tell people where to stick it, go there. Use the code word Fringe or go ahead and just use the link below. And I want to say sorry about the lack of interviews. I'm still getting grounded for my time off. My day job has me tangled up. And honestly, a lot of people are just hiding away, dealing with their lives too. So I'm still here bringing you some content. So don't bitch. Email me to come on the show. Fringewithbenefits at protonmail.com. Or if you've got a story about ghosts or whatever, email me too. Fringewithbenefits at protonmail.com. This week we're going to talk about, for the mailbag, um, Organism 46B. Okay, according to legend, so there's always an inkling of truth in all this stuff. So this is why I really wanted to go over this because it's weird. Supposedly, organism 46B was an enormous 33 foot long. Okay, 33, we know that that number. That's 10 meters. 14 tentacled squid-like creature which lived in Lake Vostok, which is a subglacial lake located under two miles of ice beneath the Vostok station in the Antarctic. The animal had limbs and they were, they were animated and aggressive even after they had been cut off and they could release a toxin into the water to immobilize its prey from a distance of up to 150 feet. It was able to shapeshift and showed a lot of hostility and intelligence. The Vostok Station was established by the Soviets in 1957 and was discovered to have been a site atop a vast body of liquid water beneath the ice in 1974, which subsequently named Lake Vostok after the station. After 30 years of ice core drilling, the research team finally breached the lake on the 5th of February 2012. It, this all of must have occurred sometime between the 30th of November 2016 when the story first broke, although exact dates have not been proven or possible to track down. 
Dr. Anton Padalka claims to have been a part of the first scientific expedition to explore this lake. He's quoted to have said, We encountered Organism 46B on our first day. It disabled our radio, which we later learned to our alarm was intentional. It was also able to paralyze prey from a distance up to 150 feet by releasing its venom into the water. Tragically, my colleague and lifelong friend was killed this way. End quote. Later, while diving in the lake, a group was attacked and the creature releasing its venom took a hold of one of them or the thing proceeded to kill and eat him. And the doctor said he tread water wearing a blissful smile as the organism approached him. We watched helplessly as it used its arms to tear off his head and then popped its remains in his mouth. It was as if it had him hypnotized telepathically. Later on, 46B was stalking the group displaying its shape-shifting ability. It shaped itself into the form of a human diver. They thought it was one of their colleagues swimming up towards them. And, and by the time the closest scientist realized what it was, it had grabbed him and ripped him to shreds. Escaping the creature, a member of the team managed to lop off one of its tentacles, but the severed limb kept attacking. That later that night, it slid across the ice bank and strangled her. So that's kind of comedic unless this is true. <laughs> then they trapped the creature in a tank. I don't know how they managed to do this. And the surviving members of the team brought it to the surface where they claim Russian officials seized the beast and told the international press that nothing had been found. Elements of this report suggest that it was a hoax. For example, not only is it really far-fetched, far but ice core drilling typically produces a passage only a few inches in diameter not large enough to transport a person through two miles of ice. Never mind a tank capable of containing a 33-foot-long aquatic creature. Plus, the extreme pressures would have made many of this story completely implausible. Here's a couple of examples of why this is probably just a fairy tale. The first one. The first casualty couldn't could not have been affected by the toxin as the only way to survive at such pressures in water would be with a pressurized vessel or suit. Thus, there would be no contact with any toxins in the water. The second one. The second casualty was tricked by an image of a human diver in a scuba gear. However, a human would have been killed had he been in scuba gear, meaning it should have been somewhat suspicious of an unprotected human in such a pressurized environment. And another inconsistency involves the fact that the ice directly above the water in the lake is formed from the lake water itself. This is why the drilling team realized that there was an underground lake in the first place. And this means that there's no space between the water and ice, thus no ice shelf is set up to camp on. But it, it finishes up to say this. It's certainly possible that the team was doing more than drilling core samples. Another point to note is that Dr. Padalka has so far proven impossible to locate, although this may be due to his being in hiding, and the account is known from only a handful of vague sources. So considering it's Russian government and scientists, we wouldn't have ready knowledge of, or, you know, been able to research this in any way or interview people unless we knew somebody who firsthand was there or knew somebody that was there. And we have a hard time getting a straight story from our own government that approaching a, a foreign government on secretive scientific exploration and research would be near impossible. So I don't know, you make of this what you'd like, but I thought it was pretty fantastic. Organism 46B. 
huge giant squid-like creature lives under in a subglacial lake in the Antarctic and it releases a toxin. I mean, as a biology major, it doesn't seem very possible, but I don't necessarily believe everything that they taught us was true. I mean, obviously the form and function stuff is, or it's like pretty straightforward and makes a lot of sense. But I think scientists put out there that we know a lot more than we actually do, especially about the creatures on our own earth, in our oceans, and even beyond. Send me your stories, fringe with benefits at protonmail.com. Inward Survival School of Magic, we're going to talk about honesty and integrity this week. And Ayn Rand provides some really miraculous perspective on this. And I really value this. So I wanted to share this with you because honesty, in a way, I mean, there's a fine line about what to be honest about and what not to be honest about. There's a lot of philosophy around honesty. And she has a lot of input. And there is an element of magic here to equip yourself with these thoughts. And she says that honesty is the recognition of the fact that the unreal is unreal and can have no value. That neither love nor fame nor cash is a value if obtained by fraud. That an attempt to gain a value by deceiving the mind of others is an act of raising your victims to a position higher than reality where you become a pawn of their blindness, a slave of their non-thinking and their evasions, while their intelligence, their rationality, their perceptiveness becomes the enemies you have to dread and flee. That you do not care to live as a dependent, least of all a dependent on the stupidity of others, or as a fool whose source of values is the fools he succeeds in fooling. That honesty is not a social duty, not a sacrifice for the sake of others, but the most profoundly selfish virtue man can practice. His refusal to sacrifice the reality of his own existence to the deluded consciousness of others. We go on. Self-esteem is reliance on one's power to think. It cannot be replaced by one's power to deceive. The self-confidence of a scientist and the self-confidence of a con man are not interchangeable states. And we do not come from the same psychological universe. The success of a man who deals with reality augments his self-confidence. The success of a con man augments his panic. The intellectual con man has only one defense against panic. The momentary relief he finds by succeeding at further and further frauds. The mark of an honest man is that he means what he says and he knows what he means. Intellectual honesty consists of taking ideas seriously. To take ideas seriously means that you intend to live by, to practice any idea you accept as true. Intellectual honesty involves knowing what one does know, constantly expanding one's knowledge, and never evading or failing to correct a contradiction. This means the development of an active mind as a permanent attribute. In my view, to practice honesty wholly and without reservation is the practice of integrity. To quote a total idiot, she said, with integrity comes great responsibility. Well, that's partially from Spider-Man, and she got it totally wrong. It's supposed to be, with great power comes great responsibility. So, she argued against my point that integrity was essential to live a virtuous life. That was too much for her, 
And she continues and she, by justifying lying and argues in defense of it. And my point with this school of magic topic is that we have a responsibility not only to others around us to exercise honesty, but ourselves too. There's no integrity in fraud and lying. And since we have a responsibility to be honest and exercise honesty, but that responsibility is to us as well. I guess you'd have to have a conscious first. I, we're not all equipped with a Jiminy Cricket on our shoulder making sure we're good boys and girls. Some people just don't have that in them. Is that the mark of a sociopath, a narcissist? Yeah, yeah, it is a piece of it. So keep your head on a swivel because you never know who you're dealing with. Situational awareness is one of the most valuable skills you can have. It is your first form of self-defense. Our Stoic of the Week is Ayn Rand. She said, Wealth is the product of man's capacity to think. Achievement of your happiness is the only moral purpose of your life. And that happiness, not pain or mindless self-indulgence, is the proof of your moral integrity, since it is the proof and the result of your loyalty to the achievement of your values. And last, individual rights are not subject to a public vote. A majority has no right to vote away the rights of a minority. The political function of rights is precisely to protect minorities from oppression by majorities. And the smallest minority on earth is the individual. Thanks for joining me. Have a great week.